If you have a financial question for Peg or Kate this morning, one eight eight six advice You can also email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Today, you can also call or text the studio line at 651-461-9226. Now, here's Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor Peg Webb, and this morning, High Net Worth Planning Director Kate Meyer. Peg and Kate? Good Yeah, good morning, Denny. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, thank you very much. I don't hear that other guy's voice, though. Yeah, well, um, today we're actually uh, doing it without Bruce Helmer. He has a well-deserved day off, so Uh I hope you're enjoying your day, Bruce. Um, But today we're going to discuss four financial unknowns. Uh, What we do know uh, from doing this decades of time Preparing for a successful retirement uh, really depends on a number of factors, some of which you can control, but there are some that you cannot. So frequent listeners to this show know that Peg Webb is not interested in really things that we can't control. I actually love to be in control, although I've had to kind of acquire that skill Because in this job that I do, the financial advisory, we have to educate clients about things that we can't control when we're putting together their financial plan. So what we did is we brought Kate Meyer on because she's the high net planning uh, director. She's been with Wealth Enhancement Group since 2007. She is a key member of our roundtable that we talk about often because she actually helps advisors and she'll meet with some of our clients on a state planning, uh, making complex planning techniques in a plan, financial issues, strategies that we use. um, And then she's able to take that information and, and have everybody understand it, which is a real key when it comes to uh, financial planning. She also has a BA in economics and French, and she went to Cornell College. But most importantly, she is a JD from Hamlin University School of Law. Uh, She concentrates in the estate planning, uh, tax planning, and elder uh, law. And then Kate also has the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner. So welcome, Kate. Um, I know you're also a black belt in karate, and you love to travel. And you and I work together a long time. But we thought you would be perfect to talk about these four financial unknowns. So welcome. Thank you. And good morning, Peg, and everybody. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just, no, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Uh, it's been a while since I've been on the phone, or been on the um, the radio show. I think it's a little bit rusty here. Well, part of it is, Kate, you are a frequent guest on our show until COVID mm-hmm. hit. And we were in yeah. the studio live when yep. you were on last. So, yes, if we kind of talk over each other, uh, the audience, I'm sure, will understand because we're still doing this show remote. But the topic today um, and, and, and sometimes we talk about these four unknowns while we're meeting with the roundtable is things that we have to deal with are longevity, inflation, market returns, and taxes. So we're going to highlight those. Um, why don't we start with longevity? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, longevity. You know, everybody kind of thinks they have an idea how long they're going to live. You know, I don't know how many times I've had people come in and say, well, my parents both died in their 70s. So let me run my projections age 75. I think there's no way I'm going to live past that. 
But people forget that, you know, even if your parents died young, medicine is better these days than it used to be. You know, things that, that would kill people earlier now can be managed through, through medicine. So even though if you, even if you think you might have a, a good idea how long you're going to live, it's not really something that you know. And so, you know, some things like I was just saying, uh, some things that can affect your longevity would be your genes. Um, I mean, your your family history can still have some effect on, on how long you're going to live, even with medical technology. Um, whether or not you eat healthy, you know, if uh, you spend most of your days eating chocolate, obviously that's not going to be quite as good for you as eating, you know, salads. Um, being a smoker or not obviously will, will help, will affect your, your lung capacity, your ability to um well, it might subject you to more diseases, whether or not you exercise, how stressful your job is, and how well you manage it. And even where you live, right down to the zip code, can have some influence on your life expectancy. Um, people who live in, in, in um, more affluent zip codes tend to have longer life expectancies than those that don't. Um, and this year, a girl born in the United States in 2020 can expect to live an average of 80.2 years. And a boy can live or will be, live an average of 74.5 years. And this year, also, the United Nations is predicting that the number of centenarians in developed and developing countries will rise five, rise to 573,000 um, people. And the U.S. itself has more centenarians than anywhere else in the world at 97,000. So, taking all this into account, a financial plan needs to consider a life expectancy. And needs to support a time frame with a well-constructed, diversified investment portfolio. And when we run projections, you know, to say whether or not you can meet your retirement goals, we need to run them to an age that even if you don't think you're going to live to it, we still need to, you know, consider what if you do. But we don't want to run it to 75 and show that you're fine, and then you find out, you, and then you end up living to 85 and run out of money before then. So in our financial plans here in Wealth Enhancement Group, we actually regularly project life expectancies to at least age 90, and in some cases, we'll even run it out to 100. So uh, that's kind of how that is how we um, approach life expectancy. We always kind of assume longer versus shorter, and then see what happens. Thanks. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Kate is, and I know your job. A lot of it is backstage, you know, not necessarily meeting with yep. the clients. But I recently brought you in on a case um, with a client because they actually had such old estate plans and they hadn't mm -hmm. run a financial plan and they actually just retired. Uh, but it's so interesting to me as I meet with people every day, the guy usually thinks they're not going to live that long. And the yep, woman I usually all the time. Yep. You, I know. So. <laughs> You know, and the women are like, oh, you better run me to 100. They said 90. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to 100. So we can massage that financial plan. And I love yep. to run these things conservative because if indeed then they are successful, these plans, then I know that I've got a little bit of cushion in some of these other things that we're going to talk about next that we do not right. have control of. So the other thing I've recently discovered, and I've been telling clients about it, is I love the Social Security website. It's ssa.gov, .gov, G-O-V. Um, but they actually have a life expectancy calculator on there. So um, I think it's kind of fun because you put your birth date in there, and then the Social Security Administration tells you how long you're going to live based on your age. 
So then I plugged in as if I was 10 years older. And, you know, if you make it another 10 years, then actually it pro it, it increased my life expectancy. So the longer you live, the longer Social Security Administration sees from statistics that you're probably going to live longer because you made it through some of these milestones, which I think is so interesting. So the next one is inflation. Man, is that in the news today? <laughs> yeah, you can't avoid that these days. I mean, you, you turn on the news, you pick up your phone, and it's all about inflation. Because the past two years now, there have been large increases in the cost of goods. You know, I think gas in the grocery stores, probably the, the largest uh, thing, the biggest things in the news these days. But I think a lot of people always also realize that construction costs are are, are still pretty high. Um, right now, they're saying the prime causes are, you know, the supply chain disruptions. We're still, I mean, things are getting better, but there are still some disruptions in the supply chain and pent up consumer demand. And, you know, the going back to that those construction things, I every time I'm on a phone call these days with, with coworkers or clients, there's always somebody saying, excuse the noise in the background, we're doing remodeling our house. So, you know, that right there will explain all the, the increases in the construction goals. Um, but what's less understood about all of this inflation that's going on right now is nobody knows how how long it's going to last. You can say some people are saying that it's going to, it's the new norm, it's going to be going around for years, and others are saying it's, you know, because of it's the supply chain and, and consumer demand, this is just a little spike and it's going to come back down. And actually, there are already some early signs that many of the, the supply chain issues, at least, have peaked, um, peaked back in October. And as a result, prices are hopefully, hopefully will start coming down sometime in mid-2022. But another thing that happens with rising inflation is then, you know, interest rates rise and that introduces more volatility into the stock market. So you can see, particularly this past month, how much the, start, the market, market has gone up and down. And, and I know some people are getting a little bit anxious that it's not just going up as it has in the past 10-plus years. Because a lot of investors now are shifting away from stocks and trying to move into bonds because of this volatility. So in this case, having a well-diversified core allocation to both stocks and bonds is the best way to help navigate this inflationary period. So, you know, the bonds are usually there for the non-inflation portion. The stocks are there to help grow and help beat inflation. So when you're looking at your portfolio now and looking at whether or not inflation is going to keep going or stop, um, you want to make sure that you have enough in your investment portfolio to add exposure to um, asset classes that are not as sensitive to inflation. So that would be things like treasury uh, or tips, commodities, um, some real estate, floating rate bonds. All of those things are, um, kind of help negate the the, or the um, inflation. Is they don't they don't react as much to inflation as they their normal bond portfolio. Yeah, okay. I, I, yeah, I love everything you said there. Let me just add a couple points. Uh, you know, in talking with clients. Um, they kind of this inflation asset class, if you will, is probably the most misunderstood. You mentioned right. tips, which are treasury inflation protection bonds. You mentioned commodities. Um, you mentioned you didn't mention, but we talk a lot about currency like gold. And mm -hmm. now they're seeing the headline and saying, hey, do I actually have that asset class? Well, we, we at Wealth Enhancement Group, we add that asset class 
to the diversified portfolio. So what I what I would hesitate what I'm hesitant to say is, hey, we're seeing all these people that are now shifting from stocks to bonds or, you know, the market's volatile. Well, there are a ton of timers out there and saying how I might as well get out now because I've had a good run here. So I'm going to try to time this market. That's not wealth enhancer group at all. If you build a portfolio, you it's you have diversity. We've already added the inflation focus long ago when inflation wasn't rearing its ugly head quite yet because we never know when it's going to happen. So when interest rates go up, bond values go down. That we actually know. And when interest rates go up, inflation tends to show up. So if inflation tends to show up and you're truly an asset allocator, you would want to own some commodities, currency, treasury inflation protection bonds, which we do knowing that that would offset some kind of movement in bonds. So I've been explaining that to clients a lot in the last couple of weeks and they go, oh, I get it. So, um, so I think we've talked a lot about inflation um, on this show recently because it's been such a headline, uh, but it is something that we can't control. And now what you're going to hear in the news is, when is the Fed going to raise interest rates? There's some people out there that say, stop with this quarter raise, 0.25. Let's go all the way to 0.50. Well, that actually hasn't happened since the year 2000. And so we got to go way back to look at having a half a percent increase in interest rates. And by the way, 2001, we went into a recession. So I would not, Kate, want the responsibility right now of making the decisions to, we, nope, you know, I. Yeah, I know, do we work on trying <laughs> to slow this inflation? Do we see, you know, what comes next? Because half of the inflation from last year came from gas, which you mentioned, new vehicles and shorter of com- shortage of computer chips. So half of it is in three categories and three categories only. So once again, I wouldn't want that job. Um, at all. So while we still have some time, let's let's talk about market return. So I talked a little bit here about we can't control inflation. And but how about market returns? Another thing we can't control. Right. And actually, this past month is a really good uh, reminder of that. You know, we've had a really good run since what, 2008, 2009. And so people aren't used to these days having the market actually correct itself and, and get gains or get losses in a short period of time. Um, but history has shown that, you know, like I was saying, since we've had gains since 2009, over long periods of time, uh, 5, 10, particularly 20 years, stocks grow. Um, I don't think there's been a period of time. There may have been a period of time 10 years or so where the stock market was flat, but I don't think it's ever dropped over a long period of time. So, um so just something to know is, is these high stock market gains we've had over the past decade, you know, that requires a continued strong earnings growth in all companies to maintain these high valuations. So companies just you know, need to keep growing. And eventually it, it, you can't grow, you know, like trees don't grow all the way to the sky. Eventually they stop growing. So eventually the stock market does have to correct itself, which has been happening over this past, past couple of months. And that's just part of the normal market cycle. So like Peg was saying, timing the market is almost impossible to do. 
I mean, I'm actually one of those people when the market drops, I try to put money in just to take advantage of the lower rates or the lower prices. And then, you know, I'll put the money in and then the market will keep dropping. And I'm like, oh, I should have waited a week. But, you know, you just don't know. So um, always keep in mind that you might be able to time a little bit if the market drops and kind of put money in, excess money, but you're never going to know if it's going to keep dropping, if it's going to keep going up. So don't try to, to get the absolute bottom. And then create a durable investment portfolio that has to, you know, it has to start with something you can control. So you control your, your actions in regards to the market. So define your goals and what you want to do. And that helps you make more of a reality. So in that case, you know, any short-term goals, you're not going to put in the stock market. You put it in cash or, or you know, short, or short-term bonds. So then if the market drops, you're taking money out of other assets instead of the stock market. So you're, you're able to sustain your savings. And then, you know, any long-term goals that you have, you could put those in the market because you don't need to touch it for a while. So if the market drops, you're going to have time for it to recover before you need to access it. Um, Peg? Yeah, you, you know, you are a, a, a core person on our roundtable in representing our financial planning analysis and, and work with a lot of high net worth people. And yep. Bruce always says on this show, people who have a financial plan do better than people that don't. It's like anything else in life. If you have a plan and you stick to the plan, so let me throw in again the market returns. So if, mm-hmm. yes, January was volatile, and I, I, I might have gotten a couple calls in January, but our clients know, because this is what I tell them, Kate, I don't call me to tell me what the market's doing. I have the same devices, the iPad, the TV. I know what the market's doing. Call me if you have a life-changing event or if there's some really good reason why you want to get out of the stock market now um, because of this volatility. And so what we do is we tend to uh, coach our clients on, you know, having that financial plan, which just gives this long-term confidence to stick with the plan. And wouldn't you agree, Kate? Yes. Yeah. And we, (laughs) yeah. And we, um, we also feel that, you know, now when the markets are down, you mentioned, hey, I go in and buy a few things. What a great idea. And what Wealth Enhancement Group does is we rebalance. So if the market's off, it was temporarily off 8%. We, we climbed right back up to 4 But in those times, that's the time, you know, to say, oh, I'm going to rebalance and, and go buy some of that low uh, stock. But everybody... And, and, and I know you're listening today, everybody believes that it's going to go lower. So why would I buy now if it's going to go lower? And then once again, that's kind of like this timing thing that um, you have to try to avoid at all costs. So once again, we don't control the markets and we also don't control inflation and we don't control how long we're going to live. So um, what we'll do is we'll come back at the back half, Denny, and then we'll talk about the last one that we can't control is taxes. All right. Very good. We are already getting some text messages. And uh, if you think of something, we always like to mention this uh, as well, Peg and Kate, that if you think of a financial question uh, in the middle of the week, let's say, uh, we do have a number and a website. Uh, If you want to uh, send it in, we'll just uh, record it. And that number is toll free. That's 888 
6advice, 888-6advice. Again, uh, you can also email questions if that's easier for you. Just email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, here's the toll-free number, and we'll get your local number as well. Uh, that toll-free number is 888-6-ADVICE. Uh, again, email goes to your money at wealthenhancement.com. And then uh, after the break, uh, we will be welcoming your uh, phone calls and uh, text messages, and that is the local number, giving you all these numbers. But here's the local number for either, and it works for, as I said, either a uh, phone call or a text. That number, keep in mind, 651-461-9226. Again, 651-461-9226. Again, that works for either a phone call or text message on this particular show that you're listening to right now. 651-461-9226. Peg Webb, Kate Meyer, helping you out this morning on your money from Wealth Enhancement Group. Stay with us, and here's that number you can call right now. In fact, we've cleared the line, 651-461-9226. We'll be back with uh, more of your money. Stay with us. If you have a financial question for uh, Peg or Kate, here's the number, toll-free, 888-6-ADVICE. You can also email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. You can also call right now or text, same number, 651 651- Four six one nine two two six again six five one four six one nine two two six. Right now, here again, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and High Net Worth Planning Director Kate Meyer. Thank you, Denny. Uh, welcome to be. We're happy to be back on the second half here, uh, Kate. I just want to uh, introduce you again because maybe some people tune in at the top of the hour and. So you're a frequent guest on our radio show, haven't been with us for a couple of years because of COVID, but Kate is a financial planner at Wealth Enhancement Group. She's actually a core member of our roundtable. She assists in high net worth planning, estate planning, complex planning, uh, financial issues, uh, strategies that we can help clients get through uh, particular unique situations. She's a CFP, a certified financial planner, and even more importantly, a JD from Hamlin um, University uh, School of Law. So, so valuable on our uh, core roundtable. And then this whole thing about the black belt in karate and loves to travel. (laughs) So welcome back, Kate. Thank you. So what we've been talking about is four financial unknowns. And so far we've covered three. We've talked about the, um, the longevity issue, you know, people not really knowing how long they're going to live. So how do you create a financial plan if you don't know how long you're going to live? Well, Wealth Enhancement Group used some guidelines of, you know, uh, we usually go further on the complexity side and add more years than, you know, shortchanging people and then uh, even risk running out of money. We also use the Social Security Administration's uh, numbers in some of our plans. We talked about inflation because that's kind of top of mind for everybody out there right now as they're putting gas in their car and they go to the grocery store. How long is it going to last? So we talked about that. Then we talked about this market controls of which we can't market um, returns, which we can't control either. And so right now people are starting to witness, hey, there's some volatility in this market and we've had years of kind of straight up. What does that mean for you? And we talked about 
well, hopefully you have a financial plan and you're sticking to the plan and not making major moves based on maybe history of what you think happened where you just earned so much money in a short period of time and the fact that you can time this. Yes, maybe reevaluate the percentage that you have in bonds and stocks and make sure that you're still comfortable with that. Uh, And then there was a fourth one that I want to address before we take the callers and the text line is taxes. So, Kate, can you just talk a little bit about taxes and how that is also out of our control? Sure. Um, I think most people know that tax policy is probably one of the more complex and opaque cogs in the U.S. economic system. You know, that have you ever, people always, you can't do taxes yourself. You always have to use a program or a CPA because there's so many rules out there that you want to make sure you get everything right. And so you can't really make decisions on your money based on what you think the tax law is going to be. I mean, last year was, a, was an excellent example of everybody was pretty sure they knew what was going to happen, you know, with the change of, of government. I mean, throughout last year, we thought that the highest tax bracket was going to change at some point. We thought capital gains rates were going to change. We were all certain that the estate tax exemption was going to drop last year. We were all, you know, scrambling to get things done, and then none of it happened. So this, you can't really, I mean, you can kind of take taxes into account when you're doing your plan, but never think that you know what it's going to be like in the future. And so when it comes to, to planning for taxes, you know, you kind of have to diversify your tax bucket. So what, what we do, you know, you have your non-qualified and your cash savings account for, for things that you need to access maybe soon or, you know, just have more flexibility with. And that's the kind of money that gets taxed annually. You know, you get your dividends and interest and all that gets shows up in your tax return. And then there's the pre-tax account that everybody knows, you know, your 401K, your IRAs, which that money comes out, you know, you're tax-free going in, but then it comes out taxable at ordinary income rates at the time you withdraw it. And then that third bucket, I think a lot of people are actually aren't really aware of, is the tax-free bucket, which is a Roth IRA. So you've paid taxes. Well, it's not exactly tax-free because you pay taxes on the money before you put it in the the account, but then it grows tax-free and you can take it out tax-free. So if you have those three buckets well diversified, no matter what the tax brackets look like in the future when you're actually accessing this money, you have a lot more flexibility on where to take that money from. So you can still have a little bit of control over the taxes at that point, even though they end up being way different than anything we're thinking right now. Yeah, and and Kate, I also we what we do know is we have a sunset provision. Can you just mention that mm-hmm. so everybody knows what I mean by that? Right. Yeah, talking about changing tax laws. So in 2017, at the end of 2017, you know, all of our ta- the tax brackets dropped, and the estate tax exemption uh, doubled. But all of those that tax, the individual income tax rates, all of that that we're seeing now was is built into the law where it all sunsets at the end of 2025. So in 2026, all of our tax brackets, uh, individual income and estate tax is going to go back to what it was in 2017. So if nothing changes in the law between now and then, we're going to see a change in tax rates just in a couple of years. So when it comes to doing the financial planning, are you already incorporating in that January 1st of 2026 in the plans? Yeah, all the planning that we do. I mean, we use current tax law because that's what we know. Right. And current tax law has has the taxes changing in 2026. So we incorporate that in all of our plans. 
Nice, nice. Well, let me just recap. So we were talking today about preparing for a successful retirement outcome, things we can't control, performance in the markets, what interest rates are going to do, inflation and taxes. But the things we can control as individuals are your ability to earn an income, your assets and your liabilities, creating a, a financial inventory, if you will, a ledger, your current savings, investments, and living expenses, I know I can control how much I spend and how much I save. Unfortunately, and I'm sensitive to this, there's people out there that that don't have the ability to save to the degree that they want to because things are just costing so much more and just to you know, raise a family, et cetera. So we are sensitive to that. And then the, the um, somewhat in control is your health. Like Kate mentioned, you can exercise, you mm-hmm. can eat right, you can do some of those other things. But putting, you know, your energy and focus into what you can control is kind of an age-old wisdom. But we also believe that, um, once again, it's going gonna, gonna to sound like a broken record, but if you have a plan, if you have a roadmap, if you have something to look at and just instead of just saying, Let's just see where this goes. Uh, it, we have just seen that people with uh, plans do better than people without. Denny? Yes, indeed. We have both callers and texters. If you have a question, financial question, you can call it in or text it in. Same number for either 651-461-9226. Uh, Peg and Kate, I think Tom is on the line for us. Go ahead, Tom. Thank you for waiting. Good morning. I have investments with two plans that are subject to RMD rules. One is a 401k that I had with Home Depot, and the other is a variable annuity via Pacific Life that came from a rollover of my employment with controlled data 401k. Can I combine these two RMDs and take distribution from just one? Yeah, so Kate, um, thank you, Tom, for that question. That's excellent. Can you just talk a little bit about RMD, what that is, when do you have to take it, and then Tom's question about having two of them, can he combine them and then take his required minimum distribution? Sure. Um, so RMD is required minimum distribution, like Peg was saying. So once you put money in that pre-tax account, you know, it grows tax-free, eventually the IRS wants money back. So once you reach age 72, they're going to force you to take at least a minimum amount out of your accounts every year. So you take the money out and pay tax on it and then, you know, spend it or put it in a different account. Um, So when it comes to to the different types of accounts where you take RMDs, uh, 401ks and IRAs have to be kept separately. So any employer plan, if you have a 401k, the RMD needs to come specifically from that 401k. You cannot combine it with any other 401k, and you cannot combine it with IRA. And then the IRA, again, needs to come out by itself. The difference is if you had multiple IRAs, um, then you can combine, you know, take all the RMD from one IRA and leave the others alone. So that's kind of the difference. If you have that employer plan in there, that that's what throws that wrench in there and makes you take that a separate RMD from that particular account. And a lot of times, Kate, what, Kate, what we suggest is, because you can take that 401k and roll it over to an IRA. And if you do that, then you're under the combination of all your IRAs. That way you can control you know, maybe your um, 401k at your employer is 100% the stock market, but your other IRA has half bonds, half stock. 
well, maybe when the market's down, you want to take from the one that's more conservative versus selling off some of the 401k at 100%. So that's just an idea of how you could control that a little bit better by putting them mm-hmm. all under IRAs. Denny? Yes, indeed. I'm uh, looking at the text messages. Here is one uh, about Kate. Does Kate do wills and trusts in estate planning? Kate? Um no. Well, I guess that's, that's kind of a two-tiered question. I, I am not allowed to practice law in my position at Wealth Enhancement Group, so I do not work for a law firm. So I do not do wills and trusts um, for, for a Wealth Enhancement Group clients. I do a little bit on the side for friends and family just to kind of keep up with laws and everything, but uh, generally speaking, I do not do documents. I'm not allowed to. Okay, here is our so number. Then, go, go, go one ahead. second, Denny, one second. Can you clarify, though, Kate, what your role is? Because you give us tremendous guidance on clients who come to Wealth Enhancement Group and have existing documents. Talk about that. Right, yeah, I, I read a lot of documents, and I'm, I'm very regularly summarizing them in you know, plain English so you know what it actually says. And I can give you talking points and ideas to bring back to your attorney, so, you know, so you can do most of the planning with me and then bring it back to your attorney so maybe the attorney's not going to charge you as much. So that's kind of what I do. I, I come in with the planning stage and help simplify it for you. And then I, I will even get on the phone with you and your attorney so you all know what you're, what everybody's talking about. We're all on the same page. Okay. Benny? Sure. There's one that says, how should my investing reflect inflation? Kate? Um, so that would be kind of what we were talking earlier, talking about earlier is, you know, having a, a well-diversified portfolio where within that portfolio you have um, those assets that are, that, that kind of either help beat inflation or, or at least don't react to it as much. So, you know, have, make sure you have at least some equities in your portfolio and, and do some of those other types of investing like tips, uh, commodities, gold and precious metals and things like that. And that'll kind of help you weather that when, when we have periods of inflation. Yeah, there are specific assets historically. Now, we can't always go by history to know what's going to happen in the future. But there are specific assets, like Kate mentioned, commodities, currency, treasury inflation protection bonds, real estate, the stock market. You know, all of my clients already have some of those, but the calls that I'm getting or the questions that I'm getting on my reviews right now is how can I double, triple, quadruple how much I own in inflation focused? You know, they'll say, Peg, don't you see? Everything's costing more and I don't see this stopping and maybe I should double up. So, Um, several of those items that I'm talking about when I talk about inflation focus are more illiquid. So the liquidity of buying in and selling, yes, we have it as part of our portfolio. Yes, we can sell on a daily basis, but there are things that are very volatile. So when you look at gold or you look at oil, you know, that's a great one because in the, you know, the last year, last decade, you know, the price has been all over the place. If you look at real estate, um, not just your homes, but commercial real estate, 
all of those in themselves are very volatile. Treasury inflation protection bonds. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's interested because the Treasury said, hey, inflation was really big last year. Now we're going to pay you for the next six months, seven plus percent. Well, that got everybody's ears up and said, well, do we own any of that? Well, yes, we do. But in, in themselves, they haven't really done anything for the last decade for portfolios. So um, I, I understand the thought of how do I get exposure to the um, inflation focus? If you don't have any of those things that I mentioned, then you may want to add to them. But once again, the stock market has kept up historically with inflation, not saying that it will in the future. And then I don't like to see more than 10% of a portfolio in things that are somewhat illiquid or very volatile. Danny? Here again is our number, 651-461-9226. Let's see. Retiring in four years, at what point do I make my 401k more secure before retirement? Kate, do you want to start with that one? Sure. Um, It it really comes down to um, how much you think you're going to be living off of that portfolio and your own risk tolerance. Um, I would probably start, since this is more of a short to midterm goal, I would probably, um, if you're very heavy in stocks right now, I would probably start kind of maybe making it more conservative now. But it really comes out down to what your full plan is and whether or not you have other assets that are already more conservative and um, and how long it's really going to be before you start dipping into those assets. That'll kind of all come into play into deciding when and how much to um, start cutting back on the equity portion of your 401k. Yeah, the first, you know, Kate, in the beginning of the show, you talked about our year money matrix. And so one of the first Mm -hmm. steps I would do if I were this person would be make sure that you have your assets organized as to how they're taxed, you know, taxable 1099 at the end of the year, tax deferred, Nope, don't pay any taxes, but you have a big IOU to the IRS. Tax-free, that one, you probably got the money in there, but now it's growing tax-free. But equally as important, and I think this is directly correlated to the question here, is how is my money positioned in my short, medium, long-term buckets? Short would mean, hey, I'm going to use this for my income in the next couple of years. Medium is, nah, maybe that's some fixed income, some real estate, some things like that that you might use in the later years. And then long-term is your 100% the stock market. Well, I would answer this as to, should you start putting your 401k in more conservative? Well, then that goes back to this year money matrix. How are you sitting today? I often do tell clients that they could start contributing to a safe bucket within their 401k because they're getting the deduction, but if they're going to use it and take it out a year later, at least they got a deduction when they were in a higher bracket. And then when they retire, they're in a lower bracket. So that's one of the strategies that I might use. But I truly believe that you need to get organized as to how your monies, all your buckets are taxed, and then how you have them positioned uh, with risk, short, medium, or long. Denny? 
We have about three minutes to go. Let's see. We have a lot of text messages. Uh, Here's one. How do I know if I need a trust? Kate. Yep, that sounded like a new question. Yeah. This is, I'm going to come up with my favorite attorney answer and say it depends. Um, So it kind of depends. Usually the more non-retirement assets you have, you know, your bank account, your your investment account, houses and stuff, the larger balance you have in that, it's probably going to be more cost effective for you to do a trust because the trust is going to be more expensive to draft, but then you'll save money on probate. Um, But you don't necessarily need to have a lot of money to have a trust. You might be just worried about privacy. You don't want your next-door neighbor to be able to go up and look at the court records to see how much was in your estate. And so in that case, you may also want a a trust um, just just to make sure you avoid probate and and nothing becomes part of public record. And then another reason that somebody might have a revocable trust is, you know, it's kind of that extra protection. If you're to become incapacitated with that trust document, you can name who a successor trustee is who will then take over management of your assets in accordance with what you have written in your your trust document. So those are kind of three different things to consider when looking whether or not to draft a trust, knowing that, you know, looking in that, it's also going to be more expensive to draft in a will, but then um, avoiding probate then might be cheaper depending on the value of your assets. So that's another it depends question, and, and, you know, discussing your circumstances will kind of help you come up with that answer. What I find too, Kate, is now as the financial advisory role, is that if a client has a trust and it's all you know well documented, it's an it's it, we request uh, those copy a copy of that to be on our file. So if something mm-hmm. were to happen, we then utilize your help, by the way, to read that trust and and tell the web team. What is it that we need to do and implement based on this trust? And then yep. you guide us to, we could contact the attorney if we have questions, which you'll help us with. And then you also help us then let us know how we should title the new accounts and how the beneficiary should be. But we don't necessarily, and I like what you said, we don't necessarily have to have a bunch of billable hours with that attorney um, any longer. So I know we're running out of time, Denny. Uh, So thank you everybody for listening and uh, give them our number. Very good. We'll do that, Peg and Kate. Thank you so much. 888-6-ADVICE. If you think of a financial question midweek, 888-6-ADVICE. Or send it via email. Just send your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Again, the email, yourmoneywealthenhancement.com. Join us again next week for more of Your Money. 